with feel-good music by day, relaxing music by night. This is Inspire Radio. Be happy, be inspired. Welcome to the Inspire Radio podcast. This podcast is an opportunity to listen again to one of the many inspirational and thought-provoking interviews first broadcast on Inspire Radio. Inspire Radio brings you inspirational interviews, news of events, workshops and seminars, plus great music too. Online, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, Inspire Radio is your truly feel-good radio station. For more information and to listen to Inspire Radio, why don't you check out inspireradio.co.uk. Check out our Facebook page too, where we've got details of events on there. Our Facebook page is at Inspire Radio UK. Now sit back and enjoy this Inspire Radio podcast. With inspirational guests from across the world, this is Inspire Radio. Hello and welcome to Inspired Conversations with me, Ruth Owen. Today, my guest is an author, speaker, and mediator. Her name is Jane Gunn, and she was a former city solicitor and now a full-time mediator. She's a mediator fellow of the Chartered Institute of Arbitrators, a CMC registered mediator, and a member of the IMI, which is the International Mediation Institute. She's resolved disputes such as business partnerships, joint ventures, boardroom disputes, personal injury and medical negligence, family business and trusts, property and construction, and employment and the workplace. And not only that, but she has been invited to speak at the White House, the United Nations, the European Commission, and the International Energy Agency. And if that weren't enough, Jane is also the author of a book with the best title I think I've ever heard, How to Beat Bedlam in the Boardroom and Boredom in the Bedroom. Jane, welcome. Thank you, Ruth. It's astonishing. You have so many attributes and so many qualifications to your name. I couldn't begin to read out all the letters that follow your name. I think Jane Gunn is, is simple and uh, it's, it's actually very memorable. <laughs> so. Yes, much better to just stick with that. I, I'm not too bothered about the letters after my name, to be honest. Thank you. But you have an extraordinary number of, of, of these qualifications and memberships and fellowships and all the rest of it. How on earth did you get into being a mediator in the first place? Well, as you say, Ruth, I was a city solicitor. That was my training. And I, I left that to have children, as many of us women do, to have children. And then when it came time to going back to work, I thought, hmm, do I want to go back to being a city solicitor for various reasons? And uh, was looking at the options. I didn't really want to let my legal training go. And so I decided to train as, as a mediator. For various reasons, but one was that whilst I had been off work, I had taken part in something called the Tomorrow's Company Inquiry, which ran in 1995 at the Royal Society of Arts, Manufacturers and Commerce. And they were looking at what will make companies effective in the future, effective and productive. And one of the key findings that came out of that was that this adversarial approach to relationships, you know, the way we relate to each other in the workplace is holding us back as businesses. So that was my catalyst, if you like, <laughs> to become a mediator. 
And that was quite a forward-thinking move from the RSA in 1995. Do you think we've yes. advanced any since then? It's it, uh, in, with everything, with mediation, with sort of attitudes in the workplace, it's, it's a slow burn, really, Ruth. It takes a long time to change ingrained attitudes. I mean, in mediation, we've been working not against, but with the legal profession, but really to change ingrained habits and ways of relating to problems, legal problems, and get people thinking in a different, more creative way. Yes, it seems that nowadays the buzzword is more collaboration rather than confrontation and conflict. Mm. So mm. do you see that as, as you say, it's a slow burn, but is that actually manifesting itself in the workplace and in the way that, that we relate to other entities and, uh, and companies? I think the thing is, Ruth, all of us want to do that. We yearn to be more collaborative, uh, whether we're at work or at home, but various things stand in our way, uh, you know, culture and conditioning, things that the way things have always been done around here, for example. And so what we're all working with is to try and change the way we've traditionally done things. And, and that just takes a long time. So that's what, you know, that's what my work is about, trying to help people to sort of change these ingrained attitudes and behaviours, really. And how do you go about dealing with people or two, two opposite sides of the coin, shall we say, uh, mm. and they come to you in order to find a resolution and they are mm. so far apart, their poles apart. And how do you actually find that middle ground? Well, there's two parts to it, really, I suppose, Ruth. We start off by, you know, helping them to explore what it's really about for them. Because often, if I take a typical legal dispute, what the people who come to me are most concerned about is proving that they're right. And then they've often got a legal team behind them saying, yes, you're definitely right in law. Um, but that's not really the point of the exercise for me. The point of the exercise is to say, what do you want to do to resolve this problem? What does the future look like? And how could you resolve that in a way that best meets your needs and the needs of the other person? And then the second thing is often the communication is broken down. So what we're really dealing with is dysfunctional communication that happens to all of us when we end up in conflict with someone else and they've stopped listening to each other and they've stopped hearing each other. So part of my job as a mediator is to help them as a third party, as a neutral kind of sitting between them in the middle to hear each other and simply to acknowledge each other. It's not acknowledging that they're right, but just acknowledging that they've got a different point point of view, that they've got their own needs and interests. And then thinking, how can we piece together really some kind of way forward that helps both of them? And how do you stop yourself getting emotionally involved with the, with the, the arguments? Because presumably it is quite personal at, at times. It's quite personal. It can be quite draining as well. But I think, you know, as one of my colleagues had this term, he said, you are neutral, not neutered. So it's not that you're not affected by the emotion, but you don't let it affect the way you manage the dynamics in the meeting. So you, you maintain a neutral stance, if you like. You're not supporting one party or the other, but you're listening to both. And actually, you know, you can go into a room with either and go, I, I completely agree with you. But then you go into the other room and say, well, I completely agree with you too. 
So it's, a, it's understanding why they completely agree with themselves and their legal team does and the other side sees it completely differently. But being able to take that middle view and help them see how they could build a bridge between the two. I suppose it helps you having a legal background because you can also see the legal standpoint and, and argue against that as well. Yes, exactly. So one of the things we often do in mediation is to help the uh, the people who've come to look at their legal case, because if they don't agree on the day, that what they're going to do is get back on the conveyor belt and, and go to court. So one of the things might be to do a kind of risk analysis and say, if you do take this case to court, what's the likelihood of you succeeding? And, and what's the possibility of you not succeeding? And what's the downside of that? And the downside of that is you know, not only loss of face, but it's also losing a lot of money because you not only have to pay your own legal costs, but you generally have to pay the other side's legal costs as well. So that's the downside of, of risking it all and going to court. What is the most difficult case you've had to mediate? Oh, there's a good question. I think it's where I'm thinking of a particular case, and obviously I can't give away details because they're all confidential, but I'm thinking of a particular case where people are so intransigent. The most difficult are where actually people are unwilling to meet each other face to face, to be in the same room or to be in the same Zoom these days, actually. Um, <laughs> but they, do, <laughs> they just don't want to, you know, communicate face to face, even with me in the middle. And they say, no, you know, that that's not necessary. But a lot is lost in not doing that because you just are not able to acknowledge the other person, even to acknowledge their presence and that they're another human being. And I think, you know, you don't need to agree with them, but just to acknowledge that they're there, that they've come to the meeting, that they're willing to investigate and see if there's a way forward. I think I think a lot is lost when people won't actually take that step. Yeah, I would say it's, it's a lot easier to objectify the other side, isn't it? When you can't mm. see them, you can't see their emotional responses and their, mm. their body language. So mm. that's all part of it, isn't it? So how do you maintain your cool and calm exterior when you're dealing with people face to face who are getting rather agitated? Well, strangely, Ruth, I mean, I didn't know this was one of my attributes, if you like, but that seems to be something that I I do. And even when I was in legal practice, what I was known for is being able to handle the most difficult clients. So um, I don't find it too difficult to maintain my calm in that situation. Not that I'm not affected by it, I am, but I, I just think it's important to sort of, you know, keep steering a middle line and, and try and maintain that calm vibe, really, because it does help other people to calm down. Down as well. So I don't know, it's just something that I do. That's the feedback I've had anyway from people is that yeah. that's, that's what I do. I bring peace into the room. It's the same thing people tell me. Well, good for you. Yeah, because on, on your website, it says that you are a safe pair of hands, which I, I thought was a rather lovely description of. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it conveys how, how composed and how non-reactive you are in quite heated situations. Yes. Let's move on to when you were invited to speak before the United Nations. How did that come about and what were you there to speak about? 
So this is way back. You know, we're in the middle of a pandemic dealing with a bug at the moment. And back in 1998, 1999, we were dealing with a different kind of bug, which was the millennium bug, if you remember that. Yes, Listeners I do. Remember yeah. that. <laughs> so the millennium bug, uh, again, we thought it you know, not, was not going to affect human beings, but going to affect businesses in that you know, there would be disputes between businesses where their systems had been affected by the bug. And particularly telecoms and IT companies were quite worried about this. So um, an organization I was working for had this initiative called the Millennium Accord. And the idea of an accord is an agreement that big companies and organizations sign up to, to say, we promise that if we end up disagreeing, having a conflict, we will use mediation to resolve it as the first line rather than litigation. So that was the project. And so my job then was to promote that around the world and to get various companies to sign up to it. And um, one of the places I ended up was speaking at uh, what was called the Y2K meeting at the United Nations. And how many companies signed up to the accord? We got 500, I think, in the end signed up. And, you know, as you know, there wasn't a great sort of fallout from Y2K. But what it did give us was the opportunity at that stage, which is nearly 20 years ago or more than that now, to promote mediation around the world when it was not very well known. So it was a huge catalyst, really. And do you find that things changed from that moment onwards and that people were more open to mediation as a way to resolve their differences? I think big companies have been, but it has taken, uh, again, a long time for the message to filter through. And and, it, and it's still a message I'm trying to convey to organisations is that it should be something that's built into their culture, this idea that you will put conflict management as a, as a strategy, as a process that sits within your organisation so that if something arises, is you know exactly what to do with it and you've got this process that will lead you to mediation rather than some adversarial process. And what about personal relationships? Have you had much dealing with people going through a divorce in the courts rather than going through mediation? I personally don't deal with divorce but the reason I wrote my book that you uh, mentioned at the beginning is because (laughs) when uh, how to beat bedlam in the boardroom and boredom in the bedroom Uh, and the reason for that was when I've been working with organizations and particularly giving presentations to groups of chief executives they would say yes yes we've got disputes with our staff and with our partners and so on we do need to deal with that but we also have conflict with our teenagers or at home with family members how do we deal with that I mean it ended up with one of the workshops where I said well let's let's change the exercise how about we role play um, how you might manage your teenager who's gone a bit off the rails Let's have a conversation as to how we deal with that. And spinning out of that was was the book, really, which because the principles for managing conflict are the same, whatever level of society you're at. It doesn't matter whether you're at home, whether you're in the office, whether you're dealing with some kind of international conflict. And we're looking at all kinds of conflicts across the globe as we speak, Ruth. But the principles underlying that are exactly the same. And, and that's the point I wanted to convey, really. It's easy to read and chops down into some little stories that people can relate to. So, Jane, you also got invited to speak at the White House. Now, that Mm. must have been an extraordinary experience. Tell us about that. Well, the funny thing about that is I got into the White House on a cold call, Ruth. So, um, I knew that... (laughs) 
as you do. <laughs> as I do. Uh, I knew that in dealing with this project, I, I wanted to sort of, you know, link up with people who were also dealing with millennium bug issues. And I'd read somewhere or heard somewhere that there was a team at the White House. So I literally sat at my desk and rang directory inquiries and asked for the number for the White House, which they gave me. Uh, there was a number. I rang the number uh, and I knew the name of the person whose team I wanted to speak to and I got put through. So I actually found that I got put through to the team and I was able to speak to them and then able to send them some information and they did invite me to come because at the time, I suppose it would be like speaking about the pandemic now, it was a very relevant issue and I had some information that they wanted to share. So off I went. (laughs) And what can you tell us about that experience and what was it like in the White House? Well, it was just like giving it to any government building, really, I suppose. I mean, the strange thing for me was that, you know, I, I was I was there and I, I in Washington and I wanted to be, uh, I wanted to be a bit of a tourist, and a bit of a, you know, on a business meeting as well. So the sort of thing is, do you take your camera while you're going into a business meeting as well? It's just like... I um, suppose it was the days before the selfie, so you couldn't very well have, this, have a selfie with the president. Uh, absolutely, no. I mean, I didn't. I still had a big camera so you know I was wandering around with this big camera and I remember that having to go through the x-ray machine Um, but yes I went in it was Bill Clinton at the time I met with his legal team Uh, that's who I did my presentation to Uh, and you know it was all a bit surreal really but fantastic to have done. And what what was the reception that you had from Bill Clinton and his uh, cohort? Um, I mean, at the time, everybody was really interested because this was a big, you know, this was a big issue. And so I think it was just a a fantastic uh, reception to understand what we were doing in the UK and compare that with what they were doing over there and just share information, really. And what would you say to business leaders or, or people who are facing some kind of dispute in their lives? Would you give them advice to try and find a mediator first and foremost? Yes. Yeah, so the, the advice I'm giving to businesses is really think about building conflict management as a strategy and as a process into your business, into your business culture. Make, make it part of what you do and how you operate. And that's one thing I do help businesses to do. Understand that conflict actually isn't something negative. It's something positive. It can actually be a catalyst to change. Um, and and then know, you know, if you can't resolve it face-to-face with the strategies that are in my books and that kind of thing, know where to find a mediator, know how to find somebody who can come in quickly and help you to stop things escalating. And would you say that it is growing as as a method of sorting problems and disputes out? It is now. And one of the things we had right at the beginning of the pandemic year was the um, one of the former law lords here in the UK had recommended, he went on Radio 4, I think, Uh, and suggested that, you know, people really should be looking again at using mediation for business disputes because there may be more arising out of um, the situation we've been through with COVID-19. There's been a lot of upset in terms of how organisations are working, how they're dealing with staff issues and office issues, um, and the courts will be overwhelmed with dealing with those. So, again, you know, a recommendation that people think about using mediation first, not last. 
And are there enough mediators to cope with the increased demand in what what inevitably will be uh, increased pressure on the courts? Yes, there are enough mediators. I mean, there, there's. Uh, I used to be one of the mediation trainers, and we actually have trained quite a large cohort of mediators. And many many lawyers are now dual qualified. They are lawyers and mediators. So there are definitely places to find well qualified mediators. You know, if you look look for for people who belong to established chambers like I do, established groups of mediators, then you can find highly qualified mediators who can help you. And what's your ambition, Jane? You've, you've achieved an enormous amount already in your career, but if you had to name something that you haven't done that you would love to do, what would that be? Well, my big vision at the moment, Ruth, is to actually help everybody um, to understand, to be um, a mediator in their own right, not, not, a, not in the sense that I want them to go out and do what I do, but to be able to mediate within their own situations, to understand the very basic principles of conflict management, not to be afraid of conflict, to see it as something that's magic, and to know how to manage uh, issues and help other people to do that, whether it's in their family life or their business life. So I'm starting up actually uh, a movement to do that, to help everybody to have these very basic skills. Um, because I think we are living now in a disruptive age. We are surrounded by this sort of sense of conflict uh, all around us. And I just want everybody to understand how they might personally deal with that by having the sort of principles and the foundation skills to do that. And when you say conflict is magical, what do you mean by that? Well, one of my colleagues in America described it like this, and I love this. Conflict is like water. Um, if you don't water your garden, it shrivels up and dies. It dries out, so you've got nothing green to look at. Uh, if you overwater your garden, we've had a lot of storms recently. Again, your garden will flood, but we know it's going to rain. So we tend to have things like umbrellas and water barrels and all sorts of ways of capturing and deflecting the rain. And so that's what we need to do. We need to know that without the conflict, without the rain, our gardens, our businesses, our lives are not going to thrive. We need this, uh, we need this diversity to help us to blossom and to bloom. But we need to, ca- we need to know it's going to rain and we need to catch it and channel it in the right way. And that's exactly what I'm helping people to do is to be able to catch the rain, channel it in the right way, catch it early um, and channel it in the right way to help your garden to grow. So it's about using it in a positive way to yes. ex- expand your your vision if you like and and to to see other possibilities where you couldn't see them before would that be fair absolutely and i you know i think again we're in a situation right now um we're just coming out of this covid19 lockdown and you know there's been a lot of conflict personal internal conflict external conflict but we have to again look and say how can we use that as a catalyst for change? What's the best that can come out of this and how can we make that happen? So what form does your vision take? Will you be writing more books, for example, or doing more more trainings for the general population? What form will it take? Yeah, so I think the form will be, watch this space, uh, Ruth, but the form will be, I think, probably a book, but the form will be some uh, an online um, training, a, an ability for people to link into my materials online at a very basic level to uh, link with other people, to link with me and to be able to sort of understand the very basic principles. 
Um, I already have, and I'm very happy to give you a link for some of my free videos. I already have some sort of mini videos that um, help people to understand the very basic principles. Um, and so if I give you a link for those, people can link to those and link on into this further training where they can become mediators themselves. Fantastic. Thank you very much. I'm sure that will be very much appreciated. So thank you, Jane. And tell us, what does a mediator do in her spare time when she when she's not? <laughs> when I'm not mediating. Yes. Well, the, the thing I love to do at weekends is mountain bike, uh, Ruth. I love to go out on my mountain bike. I love to walk. I've been wild swimming this week, this last week. It's been so hot. So I've been wild swimming, wild swimming in the River Thames. Uh, and when I'm not doing that, I'm a chocoholic. I love very dark chocolate so that's my that's my uh, my vice is chocolate well you don't look as though you eat a lot of chocolate you're very slim <laughs> you're very fit <laughs> you must burn off those calories you know fretting about how you're going to resolve defeat. I think that's the answer yes but I never go to a mediation without a bar of chocolate so if you end up in a mediation or training with me you're you're bound to get some chocolate ah so that's your secret you bribe them <laughs> it's out now Ruth it's out now <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing okay we're going to take a very quick break and we'll be back shortly be happy be inspired this is Inspire Radio everything begins with an idea but how do you turn the idea into a brand brand to markets pick and mix brand and marketer solutions provide the services you need to help your business thrive at a cost that won't break the bank. For more information, visit brandtomarket.uk or call 07507 786 590. That's brandtomarket.uk or call 07507 786 590. Turn your idea into a brand with Brand to market with inspirational guests from across the world this is inspire radio hello and welcome back to inspired conversations with me ruth owen where i'm talking today to jane gunn about her amazing career as a mediator worldwide so jane before the break you were mentioning about your plan to launch something to help people in whatever walk of life they are to get to grips with how to deal with conflict and, and how to become their own mediator. So you were, t- you were telling me in the break about a name that you have. You haven't actually created this course, but, but tell us about the name that you have. So I've been, um, since I've been mediating via Zoom, and it's been a very hot summer, I've been mediating without shoes on, and uh, I've uh, picked up the name The Barefoot Mediator. Um, I love it. (laughs) (laughs) And the term barefoot, if you look at barefoot doctors, the barefoot doctors in China were, were the farmers, the people out in the field who were trained in the very basic um, rudiments of medicine to be able to help people who couldn't make it into the cities to uh, to the hospitals. So the concept of barefoot mediation, rather like barefoot doctors, is that if I can train uh, anybody who wants to learn the basics of mediation to be able to use them where they are rather than have to go to uh, a mediator, but to understand how they might use them in the concept of their, on the context of their family and their workplace, how they can help themselves and help their 
their family and their colleagues where they are. Um, that's the concept of barefoot mediation. So what I will be creating is, is the very basics of mediation that everybody can tap into. And now we've got online, they can do that online um, to be able to help themselves where they are. So to kind of spread this sense of, you know, being barefoot mediators. So it won't just be me. It'll be lots of people being barefoot mediators. It's a great image, actually. It's like, um, <laughs> does that mean that forever after you'll have to go into meetings without any shoes on? <laughs> well, I think it will. But, you know, I can tell you a story where I often, um, if I go to London, I often uh, go to, you know, often wear flat shoes to walk and then might take my office shoes. And I, I did go to a meeting once where I took what I thought was my high-heeled office shoes to the meeting uh, with a director of a company. And when I got to the coffee shop to change, I realised I'd taken bright red sparkly party shoes shoes with me so um <laughs> that was an interesting start to my meeting so this will just be a, a different theme on that I think Ruth <laughs> I have I have a wonderful image of Dorothy you know with her sparkly red shoes wanting to go back to Kansas it was a little bit like that it was a little bit like that but you know all of these things are fun aren't they so wonderful well it I don't know if, if anybody out there remembers the 60s uh, but uh, it's slightly before my time but but I do remember Sandy Shaw was always the one who was singing barefoot wasn't she she was indeed yes so yes it'll be a little bit like that I think whether I'll persevere during the winter well uh, yes <laughs> remains to be seen well you can always take your snow boots you know go go to a, an office in your snow boots and then take them off and they take them off but yes yeah, so this is this is going to be an interesting theme I think well, it's a fantastic idea for anybody to begin to understand because I think it's it's quite a complex and daunting process isn't it if you have no idea where to start when you're faced with a difficult situation yeah, so it goes right back to what we said at the beginning of the interview um, with the Tomorrow's Company. You know, our, our default position is to be adversarial, the adversarial approach to relationships. And that's the simple thing that I'd like to give people some very basic tools to change is this instinctive adversarial approach to relationships. So anybody who's interested in becoming a barefoot mediator is very welcome to connect with me and I'll give you the contact details for that. That'd be fantastic. Thank you. And maybe when you have your course up and running and you, you have some people who, who've been through your learning process and, and can vouch for it, I'm sure it'll be a huge success. But uh, do come back and tell us how it's going and what kind of impact it's having. Yes. Perhaps before we go, you can tell us what kind of impact you, you're hoping that it will have. I just hope that it inspires everybody to think, I really feel, I think I said this before Ruth we're living in a very disruptive age um, we're living in a very divisive age and there's all sorts of things that are coming out of everyday existence for us you know even around the situation we're living through now with COVID and masks and all sorts of things and people are finding themselves um, at odds with people around them uh, what happens about people going back to work and how do they deal with that so there's an awful lot of anxiety and conflict and I want people to feel confident that they can deal with those kind of conversations on their own without feeling that they're literally sort of falling out or don't you know can't can no longer speak to uh, members of their family or members of their team um, or that they avoid having those conversations so that's the kind of thing I'm hoping 
to do uh, it would apply to parents as well so you know all of us have to have these challenging situations whether we're parents grandparents workers leaders whatever so it's for everybody really and they are skills i suppose that we don't actually understand very well we don't because we're not taught these skills in school are we no, we're not taught in school. We're not taught in university. Uh, it does. And then, so we end up absorbing whatever the culture and whatever the conditioning of where we've been. What? How did our family deal with conflict? How did the first office that we went to work in, how did they deal with conflict? Um, you know, I remember mediating a case with someone once and uh, he was accused of bullying and he said, well, that's the culture here. It's my turn now. And, you know, that's how that's how things happen isn't it you know we absorb the culture and conditioning of situations that we're in and we're not actually taught that there's a different way we're not given a course to go on a book to follow you know it isn't part of our training well hopefully jane gunn you will change that culture <laughs> <laughs> look we, we wish you all the best of luck jane uh, it's- thank you ruth It's an extraordinary career and you clearly have a lot more to achieve on your mission board. So we wish you all the best and hope to see you back again. Thank you, Ruth. It's been such a pleasure speaking with you. You're welcome. Be happy. Be inspired. Feel good music by day. Relaxing music by night. This is Inspire Radio. Be happy. Be inspired. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. Maybe you would like to join us as a guest on Inspire Radio. Maybe you'd like to feature on our Inspire Radio directory. If you would and you'd like to get in touch, then simply enter your details on the contact page at inspireradio.co.uk. Remember to give our Facebook page a like as well, at Inspire Radio UK. And once again, thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast from Inspire Radio and have the best day you possibly can. Be happy, be inspired. The Inspire Radio podcast is produced and presented by the team at Inspire Radio. Copyright applies. For more information about Inspire Radio, visit inspireradio.co.uk or if you'd like to download our free app for the Android phone, Just go to your Google Play Store and search for Inspire Radio. This this, this, this is Inspire Radio.